0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Good morning. How are you guys doing here this morning? I was trying to wait for the lights to hit. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, My name is Kevin Wilsey. I'm the Minister of Discipleship and Operations here at Norris Ferry. I'm excited you're here, and thank you for for being here with us this morning. About five weeks ago, we started our journey through Genesis, and we come today to, to Genesis 3. Um, and so we come today to the fall, but before we jump into Genesis 3, I want to remind us of where we've been. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we saw that, that God was a creator and he created everything, and he created everything good, right? And, and God created man and he created woman as the pinnacle of his creation and said, they are very good. Right, and he instructed man to, to rule, to have dominion over the world, over his creation. They were given a purpose. And God instructed them through their work and their rest to to rule over the world, to, to worship, to worship me in trusting obedience um, with God to spread God's glory among the earth through a worshipful relationship with God characterized by this trusting obedience. See, God, he he set the stage, the place for man to just enjoy this this innocent, this intimate relationship with God, with his creator. This relationship where where man can walk with God and and talk with God and be, just be beside of God in man's innocence. To enjoy God's creation by, by eating the fruit and, and the nuts that were provided by God's creation. Right? There's this, this perfect relationship that, that is going on here. This trust and this obedience that's going on here. But we see in, in God creating and allowing the man to eat of the, fr- the, the nuts and the fruits of the, the trees. God says, but wait. There's one you cannot eat of. And we saw that in Genesis 2 and verse 16. We saw the Lord God commanded the man, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, you shall not eat. For that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. See, the Lord God, he gave man a command to follow, to trust, to obey. And as Pastor Tracy said a few weeks ago, obedience flows from a heart of trust. Right. If man trusts God, then he's going to obey God. If man does not trust God, then he's not going to obey God. And we get down to chapter 2, verse 25, and because there's this good relationship, this trust and obedience, we see that man and woman, they're naked and they're unashamed. There's an innocence there. There's this good relationship that is there. You see that they're living in this trusting obedience with their creator. God, he demanded holiness and obedience. And if we, if man is going to be in relationship with his creation, then we must trust and we must obey. And that's what we've seen up until this point. But as we all know, that this trusting obedience, this relationship, it it doesn't last long, right? We come to chapter 3, and from the very beginning, we see that they start to question. We see man and woman, they start to question, they start to doubt, and it affects this trust. It affects this obedience towards God. And we have a ton to cover today. And it's going to feel heavy. It's going to feel gross. It may remind you of of shame and nakedness, but that's what sin does, right? And so I want you to hang with me because I promise you there is grace here. And we're going to talk about that. So Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. Actually, before we start in verse 1, let me share with you what we're going to see today. We're going to see the nature of sin is foolishness. We're going to see that sin, it causes brokenness, but in sin, there is God's grace. So turn to your Bibles to Genesis 3, verse 1. My first point, the nature of sin is foolishness. The nature of sin is foolishness. And before I read the text, if you were in my core class last Sunday, the Gospel Project drew this out really well. They, they looked at these three aspects of sin, and I'm going to touch on those today so you might be reminded of, of last Sunday in my core class. Um, but Genesis 3, verse 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So, all right, from the very beginning, in verse 1, we have this serpent. The serpent who is created by God, but he's more crafty than any other beast. Right? So from the start, the author, he cautions us. He alerts us. He says, this creature, he's crafty. That should draw your attention. Crafty? What does that mean? Crafty? Is this a good craftiness, a a bad craftiness? Craftiness? In the Hebrew there for crafty, it can lean towards a positive or a negative, but but we soon find out quickly, right after, that the serpent has negative intentions. So before we go any further, because I know this is a a common question, I just want to state that the point of this passage is to focus on the origin of sin. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. And that's what I'm going to focus on today is sin and where did sin come from. The focus of this passage is not saying the origin of evil. Okay, so I'm not going to address the origin of evil today, but we're going to focus on why is there sin? Where does sin come from? All right. All right, so let's get back to what the, sermon, the serpent said. Um, so you, we are called to pay close attention to what the serpent says. Verse one, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? In that statement, I want you to catch two things. Right at the very beginning, the serpent goes, did God actually say? So in that statement, you notice that now the name, the title for God is different. In Genesis 1 and 2, the God has been called, his title has been Lord God up until this point. So already in the serpent's words, he's saying, and this is what he believes, is that this God, this God is just a distant creator. He's not Lord over my life. He doesn't desire an intimate relationship with me, but he's just a distant creator. So from this very moment, From his words, he's already starting to plant this doubt and this question in man and woman's mind. God, is he a distant creator? And then we see, second, the serpent's words, the intent, his words. um, We see the intent to cause doubt in the mind of the woman through misrepresentation. So next after that, did God actually say, he says, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. But that's not truly what God says. So he's misrepresenting what God truly said back in Genesis 2. You see the serpent, he's robbing God's command from freely eating of trees in the garden. And he's suggesting that the Lord said you can't eat from any of them. So he's almost implying like, what kind of God is this? This God's not going to let you eat from any tree? What kind of good God is this that you believe in, that you follow, that you walk alongside of? See, the serpent, he has an agenda. He has an agenda, and his aim is to cause doubt in the woman's mind. So let's see if it's working. Let's see if this doubt is working. Verses 2 through 5. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the trees that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the the woman, she does simply correct the serpent's mistakes, but we see something as well, very important here. We, We see some unbelief start to creep in because now, The woman, she takes the title that the serpent has of God and she says it for herself. She doesn't call him Lord God, but she says God. And so we see this first aspect of sin come into play, this unbelief. The woman adopts the same title of God. And she starts to think maybe he is just a distant creator. And she points out still that that God said they can eat from the trees in the garden, but just not the one in the midst of the garden. But then she goes further and she says, But God said if you touch it, you will die. But that's not what the Lord God said. You see, she, she takes it a step further and she thinks, maybe God is, yeah, a little harsh. He, he's promising the death penalty even if I, I touch this tree. But that's not true. There's already this unbelief that's, that's there, that, that is growing. Now she's questioning this God. She's questioning her creator. And the serpent says, you won't surely die. God knows that when you eat of this fruit, you will become like him and know good and evil. See the serpent, he's driving this wedge. This wedge of unbelief between man and woman and their creator. And he's planting that doubt. He's planting this unbelief in their minds. And he's making them question their trust and their obedience to God. Sail he says, The centerpiece of this story is the question of knowledge of the good. See, the snake implied by his questions that God was keeping this knowledge from them. So the snake is saying, God's keeping this from you. He's keeping something that is good from you, which we see is not true. The serpent's agenda is to cause them to believe that the Lord God does not want what is good for them, that he's actually deceptive and and selfish. But we know from chapters 1 and 2 that God, he's not keeping this knowledge from them, but he's keeping this knowledge f- from them for their benefit, for their good. Because he does know what is good. He provided for them everything they need. He provided for them all that was good. And all man has to do is, is trust and obey him. And if they trusted and obey him, then they would receive his goodness and they would receive his blessing, right? How foolish is it that man and woman, they they believe that the Lord God is not good. They have everything they need. They're in an innocent relationship with him. They're eating these luscious fruits that I'm sure taste better than any fruit that we have today. Might be the same too, but that innocence of the fruit that they get to eat, they get to enjoy this relationship with God. They're doubting God. They had everything they need, but they doubt God's goodness and they doubt his word. And that brings them to the second nature of sin, which is idolatry. And we see that here in verse six. So when the woman saw, very important, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. See, unbelief from the woman moves to idolatry. She doubted God's goodness and in turn, she decided what was good for her. Up until this point, we see that it's God that says what is good. And now in that doubt, the woman says, no, this is good for me. This desire, this wisdom, this, this fruit, this is good for me. You don't know what's good for me. I want this. And the woman and man, they, they replace God. They're putting this fruit, they're putting this desire for wisdom. They're putting themselves above God. Because they know what is good for them. You see the idolatry there. They're placing something else on the throne in their life other than God. They decided to choose something else as good for them apart from God's provision. See, at that moment, they did not believe in God's word. And their unbelief and idolatry, it led them to disobedience. So then we see these two aspects, unbelief and idolatry, they come to a climax. And the last aspect of the nature of sin, and that is personal and willful rebellion. The woman and man, they decide who's going to be lord of their lives, and it's clear in this decision that they are pushing away God. And this is exactly what the serpent wanted them to do. But they're pushing away God. They're pushing away his promises. They're pushing away his goodness. They're pushing away his blessing. And they're putting trust in themselves. See, they personally choose to put something else above God. And they did it intentionally, chasing after something that they thought was greater than God. They thought this was greater. They thought this was gonna gain them the wisdom and knowledge that they want. They thought God was keeping this from them. But oh, we're gonna see what it does. They person, personally and willfully rebel. Trevin Wax, he, he says, this is what sin is. Sin is personal and willful disobedience. The raising of a clenched fist towards the one who made us. And how true is that? Sin is turning to God and saying, you don't know what's best for me. I know what's best for me. I desire this. This makes me feel good. Even though God's word says, no, no, child, this is not good for you. This is not what you should be chasing. I know what's best for you. But we look at him and we say, no. I know it's best for me, and we rebel, and we don't listen to his word, we don't trust, and we don't obey. Many times in, in moments when we say that, we think we know what our best, we think we know what, um, what we deserve and, and what is best for us, and so we run to many other things. And we want that quick pleasure. And so uh, oftentimes people, they go to porn or they sit down in front of the TV and they just um, just cloud their mind with the TV to ignore everything that's going on, to ignore their, their sin or they think, I, I need money, money, money so I can be happy. But it never leads to, to happiness or you run to food to fill that, that void. again. it gives you a quick pleasure, but ultimately it doesn't, it doesn't truly please where you run to sex outside of marriage or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a worldly item or a worldly desire, whatever it is, we take those things and we think that they are better than what actually God's word says and what he actually wants for us. This is exactly what Adam and Eve are walking through. It's exactly what we go through with our sin. You see, we all face the same attack We all face the same attack that man and woman faced in the garden. The circumstances, of course, they're going to be different. But it starts with unbelief. It starts with you not believing God's word. You then putting something else above God and you personally rebelling against him. See, it is a satanic temptation to make us doubt that God is trustworthy and that his words are true. It's what the serpent wants. It's what Satan wants. And then we run to put whatever that is above God because we know what's best for us. See, we rebel, we sin, and we disobey God. How foolish does that sound? How foolish are we as sinners? How foolish are Adam and Eve to be in this innocent, perfect relationship, to, to enjoy, be enjoying God's creation and then throw it all away? How foolish is that? We see in the next few passages, we see that sin and foolishness, it also reveals our nakedness. Look with me at the consequences of sin. Verses 7 through 19, the consequences of sin is brokenness. The consequences of sin is brokenness. Verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened, And they knew, they knew that they were naked. They're no longer innocent and unashamed, but they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord, he called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, i Man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I now realize I'm I'm naked. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave me to be with, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent. He did exactly what he meant to do. He deceived, and I ate. See, the serpent, in his words, he actually wasn't fully lying and he was somewhat telling the truth because man and woman, they did become like God. Now, the irony, they, they were created already in God's, God's image, um, but their eyes were opened. They didn't die immediately, but their eyes were opened and they thought they would obtain the knowledge of of what is good and evil, and they thought that they would enjoy what is good, right? But when their eyes were opened, they didn't experience what is good, but their knowledge was that of their own nakedness. See, their knowledge, it showed them that they were now no longer like each other. They were broken. There's something now between them their nakedness, in their, their relationship, it was broken. They contaminated, contaminated themselves by moving towards something God said was forbidden, and it brought shame on themselves. So what do they do in their shame? What do they do in their shame once they sin? They hide. They hide in their sin, in their shame. They couldn't stand the amount of shame they had on them, so they hide. They couldn't stand this, this brokenness now. And so they, they hide. See, they, then they run to try to cover their shame. And they grab fig leaves and they cover their nakedness. But it's, it's not enough. These, these fig leaves, they're not that big and they're prickly. This is not working. I need, I need to run to the woods. I need to run to the, the trees. I need to hide because this is broken. And I know now I'm, I'm not innocent in front of God. I need to run. I need to hide. And they they hear the Lord God coming. They just hear him and they they crouch down behind the trees and they, they hide in their nakedness. They can't be in his presence. He is a holy God and they are no longer innocent. They are broken. They're in their sin. They're in their shame. They are naked. Their disobedience led them to be ashamed of their nakedness. But God, he, he approaches them and he calls them like a father does to a child. And he says, where are you? When my two-year-old hides, I know where she's hiding. It's obvious where she's hiding. But I still call out, where are you? He knows where they are. He knows what they've done. But he calls out and he says, where are are you man he comes and he confesses his sin but he doesn't own up to it fully and he passes he he then blame shifts right he then turns and he says god actually it's the woman's fault but you created the woman so it's your fault that we did this and he blames god for this evil he blames god for their nakedness And then he turns to the woman and the woman says, God, yeah, the serpent, he deceived me. They say, Lord, I'm naked. I'm ashamed, but it's not my fault. And just like they hide, what do we do? We hide in our sin. We hide in our brokenness. We hide in our nakedness. We feel exposed. We can't let others see us for who we truly are. So we hide. These relationships, they're broken. We're going to continue to see that, but these relationships, they're broken. We hide never being honest about our sin. We compare it to other sin. We make excuses. My sin's not that bad. Yeah, it is. But you feel naked. You feel ashamed. We hide by doing what Adam and Eve did. We, we blame shift and we say, so-and-so made me did it. I'm still okay. We hide by, by covering our, our sin, our shame, our nakedness with other things. Right? We say, I cannot stand this shame, this nakedness, my sin, who I am. I'm going to go drink my sorrows away. I'm going to go fill my mind with porn or TV because I'm going to ignore all of what I've done. Or maybe you hide in religion. Lord, I'm going to church. I go three times a week. I find every uh, Bible study going on in town. You hide yourself. You never truly open up about your sin, but you go thinking that that is going to help and fix. And I know you all probably, just like me as I was walking through this, feel like crud, feel broken and ashamed. So I'm just gonna keep kicking, okay? But I promise you, as as we're down, as we're in our sin, as we're in our shame and our, our nakedness, by the end of this, in this passage, God, he reaches out his hand. He says, beloved child, I'm here. Get up, let me help you, okay? So bear with me. We also see that we are not the only thing that is broken, but because of sin, we see there's brokenness throughout creation. So let's keep looking. Verse 14, we're going to go 14 to 15 right now. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly, you shall go and dust. You shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. See, God speaks and he addresses the serpent. But what I love about this is God, he comes and he's walking through the garden and he calls out to man. He allows man to respond. He calls out to woman. He allows woman to respond. But he doesn't call out to the serpent. He curses the serpent. He doesn't give time for the serpent to respond. He curses the serpent. And he curses him to humiliation. You are gonna you're gonna crawl on your belly and you're gonna eat dust. It's humiliating. And God also says, I'm gonna put enmity between your offspring and the the woman's offspring. See, God, He curses the serpent and He says, Your offspring, those who who do not trust and obey me, those who do not follow me but but follow you, those who disobey my word, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be brokenness between those who do believe in me and those who do trust and obey me. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be pain and suffering. There's going to be fights between you and a coworker, you and a neighbor, it's going to be hard to have conversations with them. There's brokenness. Why? Because of sin. There's brokenness. Relationships are going to be hard. They're going to push you to your limits, and they're going to cause pain and suffering. And then he moves into verse 16. says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. Speaking to the woman. In pain you shall bring forth children, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. Notice here that God he doesn't curse the woman. He cursed serpent, the Satan, but he doesn't curse the woman. But because of sin, there's now brokenness in childbearing. There's pain, there's suffering. Where she was once created to fill the earth of little worshippers to worship God, but now that's broken because of sin. Because of sin, childbearing is broken. I have two little girls, and one is two weeks old. Like I, I just experienced this pain in childbearing. Praise the Lord for his common grace of epidurals. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but the fact is, is that there's pain and there's suffering in childbearing. Why? Ladies, come to Genesis 3. Because of sin. Because of sin, it's broken. But also in this childbearing idea, it's, it's even just parenting, right? There's this, there's this brokenness in my relationship with my kids. Even and it's hard to parent. My two-year-old, when I tell her to obey me and, and do something, uh, do what I say. Now she'll look at me sometimes and just go and fall on the ground and, and start crying. And you're like, parenting is hard. I know why, Genesis 3, the sin, it's hard. Those relationships are broken. But then we see there's also further brokenness between husband and wife, even there in verse 16. Woman is told that her desire for independence is going to conflict with husband, with his desire, his demand for submission. So under this brokenness, man and wife, they're going to fight. They're going to tear each other apart. God, he created them to be worship partners. He created them to both submit equally to one another. He created husbands to love and protect their wife. But because of sin, that doesn't always happen. And there's brokenness. And man, he takes advantage of this, this role of having his wife submit to him, and he abuses it. And woman, you want to control the situation, and because of sin, because of brokenness, there's this tension and this fighting that is always going on. So there's brokenness even in our marriages and even in our relationships with our spouses. And then we see last, he he addresses man. This last phrase should humble you, men who suffer with pride. This will humble you. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. See, finally, God, he addresses man. And here we just see that there's going to be a lifelong suffer, toil between man and work. Work is going to be difficult. The ground is cursed. Adam is not cursed. The ground is cursed. See, man, he was created to work this land for it to be enjoyable and worshipful. But now it's cursed and now it's going to be hard and there's going to be thorns. There's going to be thistles. We're going to be sweating. It's not going to produce everything we want to produce. God still says, yes, I will provide. You will still eat. But it's going to be hard. And the Lord says, and then eventually physically you're going to die. Eventually, physically, you're going to return to dust. See, disobedience and sin, it leads to brokenness. The consequence of sin is brokenness. It leads to going against everything that God has created it to be. Because of sin, we will die. We will die spiritually, and we will eventually die physically Disobedience and not trusting in God's word, it leads to that brokenness and it leads to the world that we live in. It's hard. Relationships are hard. Work is hard. Parenting is hard. But I'm thankful. I'm thankful because the story is not over. God, he doesn't just kick man and woman out of the garden and say, that's it. You're dead spiritually. You're dead physically. No, he says, we're about to see, we see God's grace throughout the passage, and he, he comes and he pursues us and he covers us. See, in this passage, he doesn't let us just stay in our brokenness. He doesn't let us stay in our shame, in our nakedness. No, he doesn't. We see God's grace. There's hope in this passage. So what's that hope? That hope in sin is God's grace. In verse 9, we saw that God pursued them, that God called out to them. God, he came to find them. He knew that they were in sin, but yet he still goes to his creation and goes to his children. He knew that they had caused this brokenness. He knew that they disobeyed. They didn't trust and obey his word. See, it's God's grace. He pursues them. And he comes like a gentle father to his children. He shows them grace. He shows them his love. He could have left them there. We're no longer innocent. We're broken. We separated ourselves from him. But he still comes to them. Even though we're sinners, we're still in sin. God is still here with us, even though we're ashamed and we want to run, we want to hide. God, he's seeking to restore us, but he can't restore us if we don't confess our need for him. See, he loves you and he desires an intimate relationship, a friendship with you. He's not this distant God that Satan wants you to think he is. He's not. He's not a distant creator, but he's here in your sin. He is here. He's pursuing you. You're in this room because he's pursuing you. He is a God who is close and loving. and No matter where you are, he pursues you. And then verse 21, jump to 21. We see that God, he covers them with his grace. He covers them with his grace. Verse 21 says, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God, he clothed Adam and Eve. He, he provides cover for their shame, cover for their nakedness. He doesn't leave them where they are. has the idea of something was sacrificed to cover them for their sin. They're covered now. They can walk in this world, this brokenness, this sin, but yet they're covered. They don't have to hide anymore. In the same way, God, he covers your shame. He provides you, those who believe in him, with a cover for sin, with a cover for your shame. And this is the grace of God that that he pursues us, that he's covering us. And this grace, it is throughout the whole story of the Bible found over and over again. It is the story of redemption and restoration, and it all comes together in his son, Jesus Christ. See, God's grace is Jesus Christ, and we see it right here in the very beginning in this passage. We see God's grace. Look at verse 15. Talking to Satan, he says, he, he, this man, this man is going to come. My son is going to come, and he's going to crush your head. He's going to defeat you. And you shall bruise his heel. You're going to think that maybe victory is yours. You're going to hurt him. You're going to harm him. But ultimately, he's going to defeat you. He's going to be victorious over you. Death and sin and nakedness and shame is not going to be any longer because my son is going to cover that with his blood. God, he foretells his redemption plan right here. And he says, one day this man is gonna come. And that's what the Bible and the story of the Bible is all about in every single passage. No matter where you are today, if you're a believer or a non-believer, believer, believer, if you are in sin, we're sinners, we're gonna constantly sin. I want you to know that Jesus is, He's not like Adam. He's not like me and you. But he walked this perfect life, one without sin. And it led him to his death and to the cross. But on that cross, all our sin was placed. All our shame and all our nakedness was placed. And he died, but it didn't end there. He rose victoriously and he defeated that. And now, because of Jesus, we are looked at in God's eyes as righteous. He sees us as clean, clean. He doesn't see our, our stain. He doesn't seen our, see our nakedness. But he sees us as white, as pure, all because of his son Jesus. So, it, Christian, you just need to confess and believe and trust and obey. Non believer, if you're living in sin, I want to tell you that the same thing is true for you. Jesus Christ is he lived a perfect life, he took your sin, he died on the cross, and now if you believe and trust in that, God is going to look at you as cleansed. And you don't have to walk in your shame. You don't have to walk in your nakedness anymore. You're cleansed. You're cleansed if you believe, if you trust, and if you obey in Jesus. Galatians three thirteen says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise spirit through faith. Christ became the curse. The curse is no longer on us. If you believe and you trust in Jesus, you're redeemed, you're restored. David Guzak, he lists um, six points I just want you to listen to. I want you to to hear and believe. A lot of it is just from Scripture, um, mainly out of Hebrews. But he says, Sin brought pain to childbirth, and no one knew more pain than Jesus did when he, through his suffering, brought many sons to glory. If you believe in Jesus, you are the sons to glory. Sin brought conflict, and Jesus endured great conflict to bring our salvation. Thorns came with sin in the fall, and Jesus endured a crown of thorns to bring our salvation. Sin brought sweat, and Jesus sweat, as it were, great drops of blood to win our salvation. Sin brought sorrow, and Jesus became a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief to save us. Sin brought death, and Jesus, he tasted death for everyone that we might be saved the band's going to come up now as i close but we're about to sing a song hallelujah for the cross hallelujah for the cross in verse 3 it says all my shame was met with mercy all my shame was met with mercy now your mercy will be my song oh the glory of the power of the cross so I want you to sing this with all your heart. I want you to hold to this truth. When you sing these words, know that your shame, your nakedness, it was covered by God's mercy. It was covered by God's grace through his son, Jesus, on the cross. So you can sing this song, and you can sing these words, and you can mean it. And you can, you can worship because your, your sin and your shame is gone. It's covered. Yeah, it might still be here in this present world, but one day Jesus is going to come back and all that pain, all that suffering, it's going to be gone. There will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. So our hope now in this world is as we continue to walk, as we are sinners and we continue to sin, is to instead of running to other things, instead of in unbelief going to idolatry and personally and willfully rebelling against God, is to go the other way and say, God, I need you, and my hope is in you, and my 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 hope is in you. My desire, my want is to fight this sin. So, will you help me? Will you give me strength? And I promise you, through His Son Jesus, through your trusting and obedience to God's word, that He's going to give you hope. He's going to give you strength to persevere until the end. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we all, those who know you now and those who do not know you currently, I pray we all will trust that you are good, that you are a good father, that we we trust that you have set us free by your son, Jesus. I pray we will trust that, that we will trust and obey your word. Father, that these body of believers, that they will surround one another and that they would just continue to point each other back to your cross and to your son and to his victory. Father, that the church would just come alongside people who are living in shame, living in fear, living in sin, and that we would just help them, that we would point them to the hope that is found in your son, Jesus. Father, we love you.